Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system, and L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello and welcome to the Winners Final Way Show. I love Fridays. Here we go. I've got my good friend Jeff Butler, entrepreneur and founder of Repipe Specialist. What's up, Jeff? Hey, nice to be here, Trent. How are you? Man, I am excited for this. As you know, I am the CEO, founder of Leadershipity and CEO of Athletic Influencer Marketing and the NIL Academy. I am a international speaker, a serial entrepreneur like my buddy Jeff here. And most people know me because I spent 13 years in professional baseball coaching in three World Series. And Jeff, let's talk today about Repipe a little bit. We're going to get a lot of stuff today. It's going to be fun. Real quick, tell them where they can find you online, LinkedIn, your website. Where, where can they find you? Well, it's pretty easy. It's Repipe.com. That's the, uh, the name of the site. And I'm on LinkedIn, Jeff Butler, Repipe Specialist. That's the simplest way to get me. You got the social media handles. You got the TikTok account. I no, I actually I don't. I although that's coming. You know, one of our mutual friends is working on that, so uh, th- that'll be in the future. <laughs> yeah, I bet he is. I bet he's got you in a studio pretty soon. That mutual. Yeah. So, all right, very good. Now, Southern Oregon kid grew up in Klamath Falls. Gotta love the algae, and man, that's a pretty. What's it like growing up in Southern? Oregon. Is this like a boy's dream, like outdoor world, run, just do it all, like God's country? Talk to me about growing up there. Yeah, you know, it really was. It was, for me, I love the outdoors. I love anything to do with camping and hiking and biking and skiing. And and this was just, you know, fishing, anything you want to do, it's a paradise because you're, you know, 30 minutes or an hour away from pretty much anything you want. And Now, if, you know, once you get a little bit older and you want to develop a business or something like that, it's a little bit different. But growing up, it was absolutely perfect. And funny enough, we moved away literally the day after I graduated from high school. So uh, my parents moved. They're like, we're out. Good luck at Williamette. Like that's that's going to be your spot. Like you can hit that. You need to go to the Capitol up in Salem and study. We're going to go take it to, uh, where did they go? They went up to Portland and my dad was a, he was a managing partner of a big CPA firm there, a regional CPA firm. So he actually, you know, beautiful thing. He waited, uh, he got promoted, but uh, waited for me to finish my, I was a student body president at the school. And, and so he waited until I finished and before he took the whole family, which I have been grateful ever since. I love this. You study math and computer science up in the Capitol there in Williamette and the, by the way, the oldest School west of the Mississippi, just so we want to clarify that real quick. A little shout out to what you meant. And then, of course, that's going to take you to a repiping plumbing business because that just makes sense. That's what your training's in, clearly. So I want to talk about that path of how you got from, you know, math guru to I own this piping company and I'm supplying piping and plumbing supply and a unique product since 91. That's crazy. 1991. So amazing when you found that. But let's talk a little bit about, you've done you know a lot of investing, been involved with solar very heavily, part owner, you're an owner down at a clean coal plant down in Southern Illinois, which, you know, why wouldn't a guy, everyone's got to have that like on their resume. And then, but you start out coming out of school as a sales trainer. Maybe I'm, hey, I don't, I don't want to be like pigeonholing people in any way, but I can tell you most of my math computer science people do not want to be sales trainers. In fact, they're more introverted, right? And want to be at their computer, do the work, not forward facing like, oh, let me do some sales training. <laughs> Walk me through that. Well, I think that probably started honestly from earlier in life. And I don't know if maybe you want to follow that up later, but it really started from 
my experience of running my own business through junior high and high school and college, you know, I had to sell and I had to learn to sell and I learned to sell on a consultative basis, an educational basis. I wasn't the, you know, I learned it by having to do it. And then the math and computer science and economics, that was just something that I happened to be good at, my skill set in school. So the interesting thing is they didn't necessarily go together real well. Right. But through life, if you take the long view, I started out the repiping business and we can get into that if you want, how I came up with the idea. But the concept was I had kind of started a painting company when I was in seventh grade and really built that out to be a great business through high school and college. And I learned that I loved being in business for myself. I love solving the problems. I love being having no, you know, it's like I could do anything that I set my mind to. And when I left college, I said, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to work. You know, I got three degrees now. I'm going to go and I'm going to work for a big company. And, and I started out as a, as a marketing director. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. I'm making half as much money with three degrees as I was in eighth grade with my own business, right? So I got to come up with a better way here. And so I got back into the sales world and started doing that. And then, you know, ultimately is after I went through a debacle of trying to pay back a, a bad decision that I made of, you know, giving a bunch of money to somebody, I handled that. I, I decided I got, I wanted to get back into business for myself. And that's really when I started the repipe thing. But the repipe thing, again, was not because I was a repiper. I wasn't a plumber. I was, you know, I didn't know anything about that. But having the skill sets of math, computer science and economics in the trades, right, in a business where you're working with tradespeople, I viewed that as, a, as an advantage because I mm -hmm. go, people that are in the trades, they don't have these skill sets that you need on the business building side. So I just looked at it as an opportunity to differentiate myself. This is back 30 years ago. Computers and so forth was, were not as part of small business as they are today. But it did over time, it really started to differentiate what I was doing from the average plumber. It's become the largest company of its kind in America. And a large part, I think, is due to the fact that I did have this training in these computers and math and economics that was able to guide me in ways that a typical plumber probably would not see or do or even maybe think of. All right. So I love this. Like this is, by the way, I think, you know, when you say that out loud that, Hey, I had this one skill set of the consultative sale. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then I've got this math economics background, like computer science. I'm like, Hey, I know where that really serves entrepreneurship, right? Like that really serves there because how many entrepreneurs you and I, and you and I are friends. We've been hiking up in the mountains together and fishing in some good streams together. <laughs> You know, most people don't have those skills. And you know the entrepreneurs who are like, I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what the balance sheet at all. Like, uh, I got somebody who does that and I call them and they tell me and I think it's right. <laughs> like, And you're like, wait, what? Hold on. Like, are you sure? And so you hear some people that struggle with that. So I, I think like those two skills, like somewhat of a marriage for entrepreneurship and a real precursor to having those skills. In fact, if one of my 20-somethings wanted to be able to do that, I feel like those are probably three of the big skills I'd tell them. Hey, be able to sell because revenue solves all. So be able to sell something. That's right. And then understand the economics, understand the finance side, the math side of this, and then understand the technology because it's always going to get a way to be leaner and lower your expenses, increase your efficiencies. Number one way we do it right on the growth co is always get lean with technology. It's a huge area to find a lot of value and efficiencies and savings, right? Or a lot of revenue potentially too. So let's dive into the kid. Before we do that, let's talk about the childhood. Just what most people don't know about you is you were an Eagle Scout. And by the way, having spent some time with you, Jeff, like that doesn't surprise me at all. But what does surprise me now, you start your first business when you're in seventh grade. And I want you to take us through that progression because as people hear this progression, this Eagle Scout thing is going to become more important because the things you're doing is like, hey, I make more money than my dad. And when I'm in 10th grade, and by the way, I'm also got to get my last license for my Eagle Scout, right? I got to get my last badge. You know, I have been a judge. 
for the Global Student Entrepreneur Award through the Entrepreneur Organization for a couple of years. You know, I recall students going, oh man, you know, we're doing $3 million. I'm 21 years old, but you know, I'm getting a C in chemistry and my parents are pissed. I'm like, uh, you know, I think the 3 million bucks is all right. Like, tell yeah, me right. Work, you know, like you're doing fine. Like C's are okay in chemistry right now. It's going to be all right. You know, and they're distraught with it, right? Like I don't want to disappoint my parents and I really respect it, but it's an interesting paradigm, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, funny enough, here's, here's what actually happened. So a neighbor of mine, cheap neighbor, he wanted to paint his house, right? So yeah. he invites all the neighborhood kids, which were, you know, like, junior high and, and younger to come over and paint his house for free. And of course that yeah. lasted for less than an hour because everybody else got uh, hot. <laughs> hot and they didn't want to do it. So he offered me two bucks an hour. Now this is in 1977. He offered me two bucks an hour to finish the house. It took me 45 hours. And so that was 90 bucks. He gave me a $10 tip. So he got his house painted for a hundred bucks, but I was like, wow, that was pretty easy. So I went across the street the other way and there was a neighbor you know, on the other side of us and they wanted me to paint the house. So I said, okay. And they asked me how much. And I said, eight bucks an hour. And so all of a sudden I said, you know, I painted that. They loved it. And they actually ended up having me do more and more. And so that was my seventh grade summer. And then the eighth grade summer, I said, okay, I got to do more of this. So I decided that I had with those two houses, I'd gotten decently good. And I said, okay, I'm going to start at 15 bucks an hour. And I didn't stop painting the entire summer. So I was wow. working some hours, 90 hours a week, making 15 bucks an hour. So in 1978, I was making, you know, whatever that is, $1,000, $1,200 a week as an eighth grader. And so what happened was I was, you know, through my scout training and just kind of, I guess, maybe the way I was, is I always wanted to do a great job for the customer because I knew if they were happy, they'd refer me to somebody else. And that mentality drove the business. And then in ninth grade, I brought on a partner. Hold on, hold on. I just want to, I want to break that down for a second. So people understand you're probably not 15, probably 13, 14 in eighth grade. Cause I have kids, you know, you and I both have, I got a muckload of kids. Right. And so I've only got one left that's going there. In fact, he's, he's headed into seventh grade now at 12. So I'm going to tell him to start paying houses. So 4,000 plus a week, you are bridging $50,000 a year if this was a year around deal, but you are bridging easily 12,000 plus in a summer in eighth grade pre 1980, which is probably about 30 grand now. Like it's no at joke. At least it's a, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, just want, I want a perspective shift on that because it's a lot of freaking money. I think minimum wage at the time was like three bucks an hour or something like that. Now it's 50. It's probably at least four or five times that, that amount, I would think. Yeah. But yes, it was a lot of money. But for me, I was like, man, this is the way to go. I didn't want to go work an hourly job. I love the idea that I could try to figure it out. And of course, I didn't know how to do everything, but I'd go into the paint store and I'd ask the people what to do and how to do it. And I remember in, in eighth grade, I had this job and I, my parents didn't know that I did this. So the backside of the house was on a hill. So it was a two-story house. And then it was probably another 20 feet to the ground below that. So I couldn't get a ladder to get up on this, those two stories of the house. So because I was a scout, I tied up a rope around the chimney and I hung off the backside of, the, I created a chair for myself and I hung off the backside of the house and painted the backside of the house off of this rope, you know, seat that I'd created for myself. And I thought to myself, if my dad had any idea that I'm hanging 40 feet above the ground painting somebody's houses, he would have had my, my neck. But, you know, that's... I, you would have broke your neck had you fallen out of that chair, yeah, man. Like, 100%. that's a long way down. Like It's a long way down. It's the funny things that you create as kids and think nothing of it, right? Like, it's just like, hey, this is a solution right here. This yes. is how winners find a way right here. Like, hey, I got to figure this out. And so we had to figure stuff out. Like, I yeah. love that. I love that. So now you go into high school and this business just keeps progressing. You take on partnerships, grow. It just keeps moving. Plus, plus, by the way, you got to be a major catch at your high school. You're tan all summer because you're painting houses. Like, you know, you got all sorts of money to spend. I, I mean, are the girls throwing themselves at you at this point, Jeff? Well, yeah, I had a great time as far as that goes. I've always been fairly one girl guy type of person, but I didn't have any problem in that department. Let's say that. 
And um, but it was super fun. I just was having literally feeling like I was just living out a dream because I was able to travel. We bought a van. We outfitted it. We traveled all the way. We painted in Canada. We painted all up and down the West Coast. We went to Hawaii. We traveled. We painted in Mexico. So we were literally having the time of our lives. And we were taking guys. My younger brother started working for us and some of his friends. And so it was. And by the end of high school, when we did it all the way through college, we were turning down more work. We never advertised one time because it was all word of mouth, but we focused on doing a phenomenal job and people just loved our work. So we never had a shortage of work. We cabin houses, at, you know, cabins at lakes and stuff like that. So it was just extraordinary. It, it was so much fun. But more importantly, what I learned is how to you know, all the things that you need to know about a business, you know, expenses and, and, and buying and purchasing and handling employees and how do you treat people and how do you, you know, I obviously made mistakes on how I treated my younger brother. He was, I hear stories, I hear him tell it about it now about how hard of a boss I was, right? So I, I think I've got to be better. But anyway, it was a lot of fun and it created the foundation for understanding what was important and how to build a business going forward. And, and frankly, it taught me because we traveled everywhere. We did, you know, cities in downtown or, you know, big high rises in downtown Portland. We did hotels, we did everything. And so it taught me that really I could do anything. That along with the adventurous spirit in scouting, going cross country, map and compass without any trails. And so, you know, going through the middle of the wilderness and, you know, you just put all those things together and you realize that you can do anything. I love that. Let's dive into this a little bit, right? It's so crazy. Like all the lessons you learn through this process about having the right people, who do you really want to spend time with? Cause now you're out Las Vegas or LA or Hawaii, and you can't have some kid going rogue. Like you got to get to work and you got to be at the house at 8am, not, Hey, listen, I'm going to go enjoy the surf or stay out too late or all this. It's, it's go time and you're here to work. Plus you're on their T&E, right? So they're expensing your hotel. You don't pay for food. And you're like, this is incredibly awesome. Like who knew this was possible? Kids don't know this is possible. Man, my NIL kids, like I'd love to have them have this shared experience before they go to college. When now you have to run your brand, like as an athlete, there's this NIL opportunity, right? So Walk me through just some of the big lessons that you just take away immediately from that experience that you still have today now in having sold Repipe Specialist, right? You have sold that firm to another brand and, and you still work there. Yep. I, I still own a big chunk, but yeah, I sold a majority of uh, piece. Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. So walk through the lessons that you still employ today. I mean, 40 years later. Well, and this is one of the things that, you, yeah, 50, almost 50. Yeah. One of the things that I, that we talked about school and the math and so forth. And I make this a point to my son and daughter is that math is so important because I am able, because I'm good at math, business and sales and anything having to do with business is, has to do with math all day, every day. You have to be able to make quick decisions. So if you're there negotiating with a customer on a contract for a painting job, right? You've got to be able to make quick math decisions so that you don't shortchange yourself on something. And then you end up, you know, because as you know, you're what you don't, this is one of the lessons that I learned is that when you provide it an incredibly quality service, you don't want to shortchange yourself. You don't want to gouge people, but at the same time, you want to understand your value and that's one of the things that I learned during this time was if you focus on quality and making the customers like you become indispensable to the customer, they're willing to pay for that. And especially in today's market, I mean, it's never true, more true than it is today. Yes. You can't find good help and customers are dying for companies or brands that they can count on to deliver quality service at a normal price, right? they're even willing to pay more for it because they know that it's going to be reliable and so forth. That's probably one of the best lessons that I learned is do a great job. Don't worry about the money. Focus on delivering the result. The money comes as an automatic, as a result of delivering the result. A lot of people focus on making money, making money, making money. I never focus on making money. I focus on delivering results and the money is automatic. 
You know, it's very interesting. Two things come to mind. Was first of all, when you talk about quality, like Ritz Carlton, right? Like you go to the hotel and like it's quality. You pay for it, but like you can't beat the service every time you go there. And so I was commenting to my wife as we took our son and the family down to Florida for spring break. And we had some pretty miserable quality experiences last spring. And I was like, man, I got to tell you, I'm like, we don't have this same experience in Mexico when we go to the same branded resorts. Yes, we're in a different country. These people are happy. The quality of service is high. The value is good. And you're like, man, I mean, I'm going to make a case about coming back here versus going to these other domestic places for this reason because we're losing quality and it's a huge gap for me. The other one I really point to, and I think this is really big about the math, the moment people don't understand their math, they underestimate jobs, which means now I'm not going to make money, which means I need to cut corners just to salvage. And now my integrity's on the line. Like all these things are now in play because you're going to reduce quality. You're going to reduce your integrity, reduce man hours. Like all these things are going to happen just so you don't lose your shirt because Trent did the math wrong out front. Well, you're a hundred percent right. And it goes even further than that, right? If you're in a business where you're delivering some kind of service, right? If you don't understand the math of how fast you need to deliver the service and at what quality in order to make money. If you don't have a real good grasp on that, you're just not going to make money. And so you really have to understand math. It's not like you need to be a genius. You just need to have a good understanding of it and not be poo-poo it and say it's not important because I don't care, especially as we become more and more of a digital society, math becomes more and more important. Yeah. Um, so I think it's probably one of the greatest, you know, when we asked in the early part of the show about how does math relate to plumbing? Well, it doesn't particularly relate to plumbing, but it relates to any business that you're in. And so I've drilled and drilled and practiced and practiced with my kids to make sure they're great at math because it doesn't matter what field you go into. You have to be good at it. You know, it's interesting because you and I know probably a couple friends who've spent years in a bad formula. And the, the, the challenge was they didn't go and spend the time, the hard work out front because business is repeatable, right? Like most things are just like, Hey, it's, it's a shampoo treatment, right? It's, it's wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. We build systems, we build process. And then we shortchange this economic formula on the process out front because oh, I don't want to look at the money. Ah, I'm not greedy. I'm not, and then we tell ourselves all sorts of stuff, but we get it wrong. And so it's like, well, why is my competitor got nicer trucks? Why is my competitor doing? Because they spent the time on the formula right the first time. And when they're repeating, they've got the margin built for a holistic approach, knowing I need service on those vehicles. I need new tires on those vehicles. I need to replace vehicles. And I have a plan every six years. This has to be all formulated. Insurance will change 10% every three years. You know, these are formulas that once into a simple Excel sheet, a one pager can be pretty tight, pretty fast. Didn't you have some experience that when you did sales training, talking to people about getting their sale, right? Because you know, this is where operators and sales really get ugly, right? When the salesperson overbids and overpromises and the operator is like, we can't do that for that. It's so important. I'm so a fan of making sure that you understand what it is that you're doing. But I want to make a point. If you're young in your entrepreneur journey, don't let, you know, when I hear you say that you're a hundred percent correct, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah. But at the same time, you're going to get better and better at it. What you have to do is you have to maintain that continuous curiosity on how to improve your formula, how to do it better. If you're early in your entrepreneur journey, you're going to make mistakes. But realize that mistakes are only failures if you don't learn from them. Because you have to make the mistakes. You have to learn from these mistakes in order to make your formula better and make your formula better and see what success looks like. Because I see so many people like get paralyzed by the fact that they have to have it perfect from the get-go. And so they never do anything. 
that's the part that I learned is I started on a with a smaller business and built it up and learned these things. And yes, I made mistakes. Did I lose on some jobs? Of course. But I go, okay, I learned from that. So guess what? Next time I'm not going to do it. But if you just shut the door and quit looking at the math and don't be curious about the things that you're talking about, about your, your maintenance of your vehicles, wondering why am I not making the kind of money I'm, I need to be making? You've got to be curious and continue to improve and learn and you'll get better at this formula, whatever it is for your business. Or you have to look at it and say, well, maybe this isn't the right business, which is totally fine too. You don't not. I mean, I've had several businesses that that didn't make it because it just was not the right timing was it was just so i thought it was a great idea and it didn't work you know but that's okay you learn from that you get better yeah and i think i think that's a great example i'm sure that your formula in repipe in 1991 looks much different than it does today like you're thinking hey this sounds perfect i think i've got it dialed in and then you know trial and error and go wait a minute uh that didn't work the way i thought it was gonna work that's costing us a lot more than i kind of budgeted here and actually hey we've got margin here this isn't costing us nearly what i thought it was gonna cost you know that trial and error is really important and i tell a lot of folks like it's only going to take you about a week to learn how to read a PL. And you yeah. can get a lot of people to help you with that. And when you start seeing them every month and going over it, repetition is confidence, right? You yes, did all 100%. these repetitions in the houses and you bid and you were like, hey, I'm very, by the time you were a senior, I bet you could bid a house over the phone if they could give you the right key metrics that you needed. But listen, when you're in ninth grade, you're like, uh, I don't know, man. I'm riding my bike over to check it out because I want to see it, right? Like, I know what you're telling me. It's, oh, it's only a three-bedroom, two-bath. And then you get over there and it's a walkout with a deck and nom, 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 and you're like, wait, uh, hold on. This is a whole different animal. So I would think it's the repetitions that give you the confidence. Yeah, 100%. And I would say, you know, just on the repipe thing, interestingly enough, I did it for two years and came to the conclusion that the typical plumbing model is completely broken if you want to scale nationally. So I had to come up with a whole brand new model that nobody was doing. And I had to figure it out over the course of the next five years. But now everything, everybody thinks I'm a genius because it works so well, but it's not because I'm a genius. I just was willing to look at what was happening. I'm like, this just does not work. This is not scalable. And I got to come up with a new idea. Because the original model is, is what you're going to build off because there's already models out there. So you're like, hey, I don't know this industry just yet. I've started working in the plumbing. I'm going to do a little R&D, rip and duplicate. Here's a model that some this person looks successful. And then you start running it and going, huh, this isn't really working the right way. And two years of that till you go, hey, I think I'm going to rebuild it another way because there's probably a more efficient strategy here than what's been done prior. Well, yes. And now it looks great, but it took, you know, I tell people, you know, they, they think, you know, the company's, you know, does a hundred million dollars and it's worth all this money and blah, blah, blah. But I tell people it took me 13 years before I made a six figure income in a year, 13 wow. years of grinding and figuring stuff out. And yeah. You know, and some of those years was like, you know, $40,000 or something, right? That's just yeah. not a great amount of money for an, uh, somebody that owns a business. Yeah. I mean, you're like, hey, man, I mean, aren't you in your mind? Part of that mentality struggle is I could go back and paint houses and make more money. <laughs> and it's like, like, what am I doing here? Oh, piece of cake. But I just, I was like, like, it never was even a question. I was just like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how to make this kind of amazing. And so that's, you know, fortunately I have that in my gut, I guess. I think it's a great example of, we all look back, people at my age, I'm 53 years old, Jeff, and you know, John Wooden as a coach of UCLA basketball, West Coast, being a Pac-10 guy. And, you know, everyone loves Coach Wooden's success. I mean, look, he's got the pyramid of success, like people yep. traveling across the country to see a practice because John Wooden won nine championships in 10 years. He didn't win a single championship in the first 13. And there were many losing seasons in those first 10, right? So he didn't come out of this like, oh, I played at Purdue. And because I was a good player, I'm just going to be this great coach. He came out 
and inherited a program and went, uh, I think I got some ideas. This is how my coach did it. There's some models there that are already out there. And then he was like, Hey, I think these models are kind of the stupid way. I need to rebuild the model much like Jeff Butler. If I had to put Jeff Butler's kind of, you know, you kind of follow John Wooden's path, which, Hey, there's a model. I followed it. It didn't work. It didn't work the way it's supposed right. to work. So I had to rebuild the model. And so this is what the success pyramid looks like. Cause we got to do it different. And and then when he figured it out, then it starts, whoa, you know, incrementally. And, you know, I've also read a lot of his stuff, which probably if we looked back at, uh, you know, Repipe's notes, man, you know, the pyramid today doesn't look like it did the first five years. He kept adapting it. It was like, oh, I don't, I don't think this works like I thought it was going to work. And so he's got to go back and rework that. And, so everybody knows it today to be this efficient, fine line, you know, right on point system. And I think this is back to that overnight sensation. You know, how many how many guys I coached in the major leagues that were, you know, 12 year overnight sensations, right? <laughs> like, hey man, like, just because you haven't heard of them doesn't mean they haven't been grinding, right? Well, I tell people it's, you know, this repipe is a 30 year overnight success, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love that you know, story. But but one of my general sales manager, he had a great saying. He says, the only reason we've, we're successful is because we've failed so many times. And Ooh. this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? You can't get to that understanding of what greatness is until you've failed a bunch of times and not, you know, not quit. you got to fail and learn, fail and learn, fail and learn. I mean, you know, we'd like to be able to learn if, if you're really smart, you're going to learn from people who are successful and you're going to shortcut that, that trajectory, maybe listen to, you know, podcasts and, you know, that kind of thing. And sure. you can shortcut that. But most people learn from failing and then learning a hard lesson. The best, the most important things I've learned have been when I've failed the hardest. I mean, I've lost everything three times in this process. Yeah, I think this is what we got to touch on. You know, I, I love the quote, winners when shown data that they're losing, find a way to win, right? From the four disciplines of execution. And so let's take you back to one of those early losses. I mean, you got all this money. You're a smart guy. You go down to LA and you're going to find this investor, I'm sure with sugar cane promises, man. Like, of like, hey, smooth talker, like walk me through this and walk us through a little bit of that pain. Oh, man. Okay. So you know about the painting thing. I earned a bunch of money. I invested some money. People thought, oh, he, he knows how to do this. Right. So, and this is the real painful one is my, my girlfriend at the time, her grandparents who raised her, they had life savings of about $150,000. They gave it all to me to invest, which, you know, looking back on it, I, a dumb idea to take it, but regardless, they gave it to me. So I come to California and honestly, I'm not that great of an investor. I'd say I'm pretty stupid at it, really. I knew how to make money, but not invest and make money. And so I gave all of that money and my all the money that I'd earned over all those years of painting to this one guy in a company. And of course, he promptly squandered it. And, uh, you know, I should have known if I was looking at it today, I you know, I would have run for the hills. But But regardless, I lost the money. And now I'm sitting here with a quandary of these people who are in their late 60s at the time. It was their life savings. And what do I do? And what, what year is this? What year is that about? This was 1988. Yeah. And you're thinking like, hey, $150,000 of savings, that's real money. No, it's not tons to get you all the way through at 60, but... And they were, you know, they were, they lived in a simple house. Their house was paid for. They were living on, you know, social security and so forth. And they had this 150 or 60,000 or whatever yep. it was. 150, I think is what they gave me. So anyway, so here I am. And, and now she's my ex-girlfriend, right? We hadn't been going out. So it's my ex-girlfriend's grandparents' life savings. And so I said, okay, I didn't, you know, I could have filed bankruptcy or whatever. That, the thought never even crossed my mind. I said, I have got to go figure out how to pay this money back. So not yours, your money's gone. Just get these grandparents, the money back. Yep. So that's when I jumped in. I said, I got to change my, I got to get out of this, you know, working for this corporation thing, got into a multi-level business. And my girlfriend at the time, she helped me and we went in and who's now my wife actually. 
And we, I mean, we hit it hard and heavy. And by, you know, by month seven, I think we were making 20 or $30,000 a month. And so, I mean, our trajectory was like this. We went, I was, you know, I just was working crazy hours. I wore, went all over the country, built a big organization. And frankly, again, this is one of, we'd go into a city on a Sunday, we'd hire people and set up and so forth. And by the following Saturday, we'd have 30 or 50 people going. We'd have an office set up. We'd have an, a business running in that city. Now that would go on to serve me well when I wanted to go open up repipe cities, right? Because I was able to go dive into any city in America and build out a business in no time. But uh, anyway, so long story short, I earned the money. I paid the grandparents back with 9% interest. They didn't know that I had lost the money until I paid them all back. And then I told them the story. So, cause I didn't want to worry them. Right. So yeah. that was, but once I got done with that, I realized, you know, running around doing multi-level was not really my kind of who I was or whatever. It, it served a purpose. And then I wanted to come back and I wanted to build a legitimate business where I was going to, you know, have people that, you know, build a culture and that kind of thing. And so that's when I started looking at what I was going to do. And I did a consulting for a plumbing company for a few months, built their, you know, 600% increase on their, their service business. And they said, thanks, but no, thanks. We're, we don't need you anymore because uh, you built everything up. And so that was, I remember it was a Wednesday of May, 1991. And I said, okay, this is dumb. I'm, I'm doing the consulting thing. I'm doing, so I sat down and I wrote a T on a piece of paper. And this comes from, you know, if you've ever heard of the Ben Franklin clothes, right? It was a, it was an adaptation of the Ben Franklin clothes. I said, okay, I'm going to start my own business. And I said, on the left side of the ledger, I said, what attributes do I want in a business? And what attributes do I not want in a, in a business? And so I looked around and I said, I could do anything. I don't care what the product or service is. And during this consulting gig that I was doing for this plumbing company, one of the, the, the service techs had gone out and repiped a house. And so at that time, I went out and watched him for a couple hours. I thought that was, that's interesting. That was like February of that year. So fast forward to May when I was looking at these things, the, all the Ben Franklin stuff, I said, the only thing that fits all these criteria is if I made a business out of that repiping thing that that guy did. So that's when the next day I started the repiping business. And then the rest is history. You came up with a patent, right? For repiping in a different way. Is that right? Well, it's not a patent. It's just basically kind of a, a way of doing it that not very many people have thought of or do or think of. And so basically we repipe, essentially what we do is we do it, you know, if you, if you think about repiping, you got to come in and open all the walls and, you know, yeah. open these big holes and it's big construction zone. And what we do is we come in and we, first of all, we, we can repipe any house in one day and we do it with little minimally invasive holes like surgically, we open the holes and then we also come in and those little holes, we patch them up and, and texture them and so forth. So within a couple of days, the people don't even know that we were there and they have brand new plumbing. And so we do that all and we've trained that to all, you know, the, the locations we have across America. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Because yeah. I don't think anyone's up when you start about tearing walls open, you know, going down to the studs and blah, blah, blah. Like, that doesn't sound like a one day project anywhere ever, right? It's for most plumbers, even not doing the, you know, repatching and so forth, they, they come in and, you know, take hammers to your walls and blow open your holes. And, you know, it's going to take them three, four, five days at a minimum just to do the plumbing side of it. And then you got to find your own drywall contractor and paint area and so forth. And I just condensed that all down and made it into a super fit, efficient process. Man, it's, it's amazing, man. It's amazing when you think about, you know, the errors and the mistakes. But, you know, I think, I think let's talk just to end here. You know, I got to think that, you know, I always hear fail faster, right? Fail faster. That's what, yes. you know, if you want to get ahead, fail faster, right? And so no one ever looks in the entrepreneurial world as failing. In fact, I, I'm trying to think of the movie. There's a movie by Disney about the little kid and he's going to get adopted. And I don't know if you've ever seen this with your kids. Yeah. Disney did this movie and it's like, I, he goes into the future, right? He can see the things in the future and they get so excited about the failing. Like they're like, Oh my God, that's awesome. Like you failed. That was great. Like, they're so excited about failing. I'm like, you know, 
you know, said no parent ever, right? Like, we're just not that good at like, oh, encouraging, like, wow, you really mucked that up. Good. Way to go. And so it's, um, it's an interesting concept, but you know, one of the things about that failing that's so impactful, I mean, and I just, man, I mean, I, I feel it in my heart as you talk about, you know, your girlfriend's grandmother's money as a man of integrity, you're like, oh my goodness, man, like, oh, I, I got to get that money back. Right. And the emotional side of that failure, the amount of time that you're actually in that emotional state, because that's not an overnight fix. That's, and, and you actually did it more rapidly probably than most people could, especially at that age, because a lot of people were like, Hey, when you're 112, I'm going to have all this back. <laughs> like, you're right. Like, you know, exactly. Like, like, 70 years old now, right? Like, you know, yeah. it's going to take me like 40 years. So do you think that motivation is part of the drive? Because the emotions are driving some of the motive. A hundred percent. I look back at that and they, you know, somebody says, well, at the time you think the losing $150,000 of their money is horrific. But I look back at it and I go, what that brought was the immediate demand for me to go, I don't want to make $500 a week because I was making $500 a week as a, as a marketing manager at this, yeah. this company, right? And I'm like, I, I can't, I'll, I'll take, as you said, a hundred years to pay this back. I need to make tens of thousands of dollars immediately per month. And so it immediately took me out of my comfort zone and I had to do something and I had to do it with urgency. And so what I quickly learned is like, oh, I can make money and I can make money fast and I can do it the right way. I can work hard. Now, yeah, I did, not, you know, not illegally, illegal. not illegally. No, I don't you know, need this to, isn't necessary. Yeah. And, and then now it's painful during the process, but as you start to reflect on it, you're like, wait a minute, this has completely transformed my life because now I believe, and so I can do anything. So when I started my repipe business, I didn't start thinking, oh, I'm gonna make 20,000 or 30,000 or 40, you know, whatever. I thought I'm gonna make this into an amazing business. And, you know, now it took me a while to get there, but the vision never changed. And this is one thing I'll, I'll say that it took me a long time to learn, but I use it, I, I live by the lemonade principle. And what that means is I used to get butterflies in my stomach when somebody would, you know, an important person would quit in the business or, you know, they got another job or, or yeah. some failure on a job, any, anything negative that happens, I would just get this knot in my stomach. And then finally I realized that all that energy, if I could divert it into a new state of mind, and so what I started doing is as, as soon as something happens, like let's say you have a sales guy, your leader of sales decides to leave and you've known over time that, you know, he was great, but let's say that he could have done this better and this better and this better. So what I do is I immediately, when this negative thing happens, I immediately change it to, this is an opportunity to upgrade. So not only am I gonna have somebody as great as I had, but I'm going to improve the quality of that person. So now the door is opened for me to improve my entire situation because of this changing of events. And as a business owner, when I started looking, because you think about you know, you know problems on jobs and problems on this and that, these are failures or problems. Problems are not problems unless you make them problems. Problems can become opportunities if you just simply look at it that way. So now whenever somebody gives me any kind of lemon, I immediately go, how can I turn that into lemonade? And I don't wait a day or two days or five days. The minute I hear it, and it took a while to practice because it takes practice to change this, to take that negative energy and turn it into a positive. But that has been so transformational in the way I run my business and the way I interact with employees and that, you know, you use that inspiration with them. And so they realize that no problem is overcomable. It's an opportunity to be better. If anything, that is one of my things that I've learned in this this failure mindset, but turn it into you know, turn lemon in, lemons into lemonade. Yeah, I love the opportunity mindset, and and I can even see where I've become proactive in looking at this. Like, I, and I did it with you know players and athletes when when I was in, I was like, wow, I really love this person, da da da, but you know, we got these challenges here. They're not very good at this. They're not very good. And you know what? 
we're going to get a second baseman in the future, we should probably have these three additional skills in addition to what he already has. And like when, and, and then I start watching games going, Hmm, they got a nice second baseman. He's got those three skills. <laughs> you know, like, and I started like going, Hey, if there's going to be a trade, by the way, have you called the kid up? Let's see what Toronto wants to do with this guy. Like, right. So it's, it's a proactive approach. Now I will also say, I love this idea that I remember reading Peter Thomas, good entrepreneur. He founded a, uh, well, he, he was a realtor and he uh, took control. He, he wrote a book called never fight with a pig. And in it, he talks about taking control entrepreneur of the year real estate, lives in an apartment, no furniture, right? Like this guy's like wow. all about selling stuff. Like he's like, like, I'm not worried about my house, man. I just got to sell, sell. I just got this mindset of just, you know, creating opportunity and revenue, right? And so this man comes to him and says, wow, you know, I could really use a young man with your energy and all these things. I think he's like 30 years old at the time, maybe even in his twenties. And he says, I got this brand that's done really well in the United States, but I, I'm struggled here in Canada here. What do you think about taking over my brand? He's like, I would sell you the rights to Century 21 for a hundred grand. And he's like, I've got 10. <laughs> he goes, all right, you'll owe me. <laughs> so he's like, Man, the guy you know, takes over opportunity. He sees it. He, he creates $33 million. He resells that brand to someone in a pretty short time. I'm talking less than a decade, little more than three or four. And then he presents to lose it, right? He loses it. And I'll never forget this. I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm with my brother-in-law who's an engineer. He's a money guy. He understands the numbers, math guy. And I was like this idiot. How do you lose $33 million? You know, like, what do you think? And he goes, man, that's awesome. I go, no, no, no. You didn't hear me. <laughs> he lost 33 million, bro. Like, what are you talking? He goes, he had 33 million to lose. He'll probably figure out how to do it again. Yes. And I'm like, dang, he did that. <laughs> he figured it out exactly how to do it again. And I was just like, that was a big paradigm shift for a 27 year old man. That was big for me. Yes. Well, and, and that's the beauty is once you learn these lessons, you know, they can, you can take all the, the economy can go to hell in a handbasket. You could, you know, it can all, but I, I have zero doubt as any entrepreneur, as you start to get good at this stuff, you know, like I'm starting business sections today that will grow in three years to be bigger than our entire company was after 28 years of doing that. Right. It's, it's just, once you figure it out, it's easy. And you got to fail. You got to give yourself plenty of opportunities to learn. And that only comes through failure and making mistakes and learning and quick getting quick back on your feet and going, you know, yeah. just don't quit. The only failure is if you actually quit. Yeah, don't quit. I love that. If do you have like a go-to quote that like when you're feeling the effects, like things aren't going the way you'd hope, man, you you get hit like something like that over the head with that's, that's a pretty big hammer, by the way, to get hit over the head with after you know how much sacrifice you made to make all that and the parties involved. Is there something that you go back to read? Do you have something that really triggers you to get you back on that line? Well, I heard a, I don't know the exact quote, but, but I do know this, that appreciation and negativity cannot exist in your mind at the same time. So if I have something that is going on that's that's not great in my life or whatever i just spend a few minutes and i think of things like literally this takes three minutes if you put yourself in the mindset of things that you appreciate in your life you literally spend a minute thinking about one specific thing that you appreciate and then another thing that you appreciate and another thing that you appreciate you will find that that negativity will be gone because you can't that cannot exist in the same space as appreciation and so that that's what i do love it Cannot coexist. And they yeah, cannot I, I coexist. Tell, I tell a lot of people, man, I felt pretty lousy about myself. And my go-to is go help somebody. Go oh. mow my neighbor's lawn, go down the street and shovel her driveway. The two elderly people, three houses down. Like I have a very hard time feeling bad about myself while I'm helping somebody else. And so, and I need that. Like, uh, like you and I, we like to go out and get that kinesthetic. Like we got to move. We got we to yeah. go get hike a mountain. You know what? This didn't go our way. Let's climb that, that SOB, right? <laughs> Let's knock that out. And we're going to do something <laughs> and feel better about ourselves. Like, I like that. I think that's big for me. And it, and it starts moving me one step at a time. That's the nice thing about the hike, right? You don't make it to the top of the mountain except one step at a time. You can't like fast forward it. You guys do the work. Well, and I'll kind of, maybe we'll, we'll end with this one. We didn't talk about this, but 
you know, my wife and I started a nonprofit. It's a, it was a literacy program probably 20 years ago or 25 years ago or something like that. And we built it centers all over the world. The thing that I took from that was the greatest gift you can give yourself is to be of service to others and to help others, right? And so I, through that nonprofit work, I learned that the best way to be a great executive is to be of service to the people that you that, that work with you. And so for the last 20 years, the entire driver on my business has been about figuring out how do I help other people be successful? All the, the plumbing shops, all the sales reps, all the employees, my entire driver is all about helping them to reach and ex exceed their potential. And as you, you know, you've heard this before, if you help those people succeed and you understand the math and you put the business model together, you cannot help but succeed. And you do not ever have to worry about yourself. You just simply help others succeed. It's the greatest mm -hmm. gift you can do is be of service to others in that way. And it's way more fun and it's way, it's a higher elevated experience because everybody is having fun and so excited to be part of the team and part of the process and part of the culture. And it's a great way to operate. Earlier in my career, it was all about, you know, how do I make money? I didn't understand it as well. And that's not what it's about. The money just automatically flows when you do the right thing. I love that. Let's end to that. The money automatically flows when you do the right things. I love that. So for everybody, thank you for joining us on the Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.30 p.m., 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. Find us on the Leadership at a YouTube channel, LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, and always find our show on all your major podcast networks, Spotify, Apple, iHeart, all of them. Like us, share it, subscribe. We want you here. And man, Jeff, I think you helped some people today. I think there's a lot of information that you gave that I think is going to help. You help me, man. I always get better when I'm around you. So I love it. So thank you so much, Jeff Butler, founder of the Repipe Specialist on us today. Thanks again, Jeff. We'll see you next time on the Winners Find a Way Show. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.